All right, some important business there. Howdy. Howdy. Good to see you all. Good morning, church. New table. Thanks. Those who constructed it. Let me see. Sorry, that was such a sweet moment. Thank you so much, Riley. Well, uh, you'll hear more about that in a moment. Anyway, it is marvelous to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, I just want to say a special thank you to you for the way that you welcomed my friend David Fraze last week. Was he not a blessing? I love him so much. He's a great guy, but I do want to set the record straight on something. So he spent a few minutes giving me and Lori a hard time about slides. If you were here last week, do you remember this? Like we were kept pressuring him. Honestly, between you and me, Dave's a lot like me. And so I, I really did. This is the truth. I told Lori to kind of like make up reasons to talk to him just to make sure he remembered he was coming. I'm just totally true. <laughs> but so, you know, I flew to Lubbock to go do a retreat for a campus ministry there. And uh, so we drove to town, came back. And so I'm actually, the day after he preached for us and did his whole bit about the slides, I, without knowing what he said that day, I was sitting with his boss, Jeff Carey, over breakfast that morning. And he was talking about uh, they were getting ready to do their LCU on the go, which was, he did last year, Jeff Carey and David Fraze and, and then Shannon Raines uh, from LCU. And they're preparing their program for this year to go and do it. And he said, you know, we'd be kind of ready, but doggone it, I, you know, David and Shannon keep insisting on slides. <laughs> I would just like to go do it, but it's got to have slides. So just know, just know, that was not true. We were not forcing him to do anything, but he's cracking me up. It was fun. Honestly, the, 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 I told him, because I got a chance to see him that same day too. Thank, I, I thank him for sharing his giftedness with all of you, but I want to thank you so much, not just for your welcome of David, but for how you embody the message that we asked him to come and share about. Because he talked about this investment. If you weren't here last week, he talked about, you know, research showed this, but we know this, that, that the greatest determiner of whether your uh, faith will stick up the course of a lifetime is whether there's five or so people outside of your own family that, that invest in your life. But here's what's so cool is uh, David didn't come alone. Some of you know Jeremy Hagee came also, former AFCer here, who is now the um, uh, professor at Lubbock Christian University in the history of Christian theology. Okay? He talked about his experience of being here. And he said, while David was talking about those investing in your life and the five and all that, he said, I looked around the room and my five plus were here. And he got a chance to talk to some of you, didn't get a chance to talk to all of you. But here's the beautiful thing. When we talk about our, our vision here of helping people find hope, live with purpose, of making disciples who then make disciples, you are doing it. And I saw it last week in a guy that I just was getting to know a little bit because Jeremy is like the rock star of their Bible department now, which blows me away because he's teaching history and all the students love him. Listen, he's investing in the next generation of students because you invested in him. That is our vision here. Thank you for being you. I just want to praise God for that. It was beautiful. Thank you for that week. So on to this week. We mentioned, uh, you know, before David was here, we did this little series looking at invitations of Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus. What is he inviting us to experience, to live out? And we saw again and again one of the verses that was kind of behind it, even though we never really preached on that one, is the book of John, John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I came not to give you a religion or a system or a philosophy. I came to give you life, abundant life, fulfilling 
full life. And then I think this series is a great follow-up on it because it's going to talk about what is, how does he actually enable us to live that life out. So I want to talk about the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And we're going to do it in a pretty focused way. What we're going to do is we're going to look at, just like we look at invitations from the mouth of Jesus, we're going to look at just the book of John and teachings from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're doing. So if you don't know we're going to be the rest of the semester, if you want to be reading and praying on to that, look, just read the book of John, just listen to it on the U version or something, and listen to those places where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start in a familiar passage. We probably heard it in a lot of different ways, but I want to hear it as in Jesus' introduction to his Holy Spirit in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles or devices, we're going to read John chapter 3, the first 13 verses. John chapter 3, 1 through 13. And I would ask you to stand out of respect for God. As we hear the word of God, you'll see the words on the screen. When I finish, I will, I will say this is the word of the Lord and invite you to just express your gratitude. Thanks be to God when we finish the reading. This is the gospel of our Lord, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, I pray as the psalmist did so long ago. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to share with you today one of my favorite discoveries about 10 years ago or so. That We have these things that we discover in different seasons of our life. So I'm sharing mine. I might encourage you to think about yours. What's something that you discovered maybe it was a gift somebody gave you or you came across or you, you saw in a store or something, some discovery that you had uh, that helped you either um, accomplish something you wouldn't be able to accomplish otherwise, to do something you couldn't, to, to make life easier in some way or more enjoyable. It's been some discovery that, that helped make life easier or enjoyable to you in some way. Well, here, here's my experience about 10 years ago. At that time, I was on the board of directors for our uh, our area's youth football team. And so in addition to coaching, I was doing different things as, on the board, serving that way. And all of us had different roles, especially leading into the season. So we, 
We helped out everything from six-year-olds. We called them the bobbleheads because the helmet weighed more than they did. So it's like this. <laughs> All the way up to middle school. And we're like trying to recruit people for this area program. And so my job for about three years there was to be the guy that put these up all around town. They were banners. These were not small banners, I want you to know. They were significant size banners, and we had to put them in 10 different places. You can't quite see the one in the back, but the way, the way I inherited them doing it is they wanted to put these, these posts, these are the metal you know, fence posts there, and then you bungeed them in a triangle. So there's not one banner at each site, there's two, and it's bungeed on there. And again, 10 different sites, i got to put 20 of these up. And so I'm just telling you, this is the way that I chose to do it for a year and a half. It was this tool. It was our hatchet. It's my father's hatchet that I inherited. So you picture this old hatchet. Um, this is the actual one, but it looked pretty much like that. An old worn-out handle. There was a tiny little crack. So you can imagine my wife's terror because our daughter, our young daughter at that time, insisted on coming with me. And so she would get down to the bottom of the pole, that little, you know, the metal green pole, and she would hold on to the bottom. I know you're already thinking, you know where I'm going with this. Like she's holding on the bottom, and I'm hammering the heck out of that thing with a hatchet on the top. It was really annoying. It was really frustrating. It was really long. It took all day. And I was into the second year. We'd already done it once. By the way, you did it twice a year. You did it for camp. They did it for football season. So I had to do it twice a year. Already done it twice. Done it once. We're getting ready to do it again. And then I went to Lowe's, <clears throat> and I went to get, because I bent one of the poles, you understand? And so I went, and I was getting one of the poles there, and lo and behold, there was this thing hanging next to the poles that looked like this. <laughs> now, I didn't know what this was, and some of you are laughing because you know this, but it's a post driver, that's what they call it. They probably have other names, but that's what it said, it's hanging, it said post driver. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this? And, of course, they built a tool for the purpose of driving the post in the ground. And it was so beautiful. Can I tell you the clouds parted and a dove descended? <laughs> <laughs> because what before had taken us five or ten or more minutes each time you do the math. It took five or ten seconds, and it was bang, and it was in there. Our daughter was so happy. I was so happy, and I wasn't going to kill her with the handle coming off. It was just so beautiful. Here's the thing I think about. It's a principle. I know it's a silly thing, but I really, really want to get this in. Life works infinitely better when you get the right tool for the job. Life works infinitely better. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about pounding fences in the thing. Here's the thing. We did this whole series where Jesus invited us to life. Not just to heaven one day. But to life right now, abundant and fulfilling life right now. And I'm just testifying to you what I realize when I think about this is I have spent much of my Christian life doing the life of Jesus or trying to do the life of Jesus like I was starting to pound in those fence posts with a hatchet and sweating and gutting it out and exerting all of my energy to try really hard to be a Christian. I'm telling you, all that does is leave you frustrated and exhausted, and it doesn't work. And when I look at my life, I look back and realize that part of the reason I've been so exhausted and frustrated at times in my Christian life is I believe I have left hanging on the shelf... God's greatest gift for living, 
that he's ever offered us. He's offered us so many gifts, forgiveness, salvation, all those kind of things. The greatest gift that God gives us is the gift of God's own self in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going away. We're going to look at these passages, but here, here's the thing. I'm going to give you not just a vision to live life that is abundant and full. I'm going to give you the power to actually live it. And that's why I want to have a study where we explore the Holy Spirit to say, what does it look like, Jesus, to accept your invitation to life, but also accept the power of your Holy Spirit to live it out? So all we're going to do is we're going to look through the book of John at different places where Jesus teaches us about that. And I love this story. Perhaps if you've grown up in church, you've heard it before. Especially in moments like we're going to have a baptism at the end of today. That's the sweet girl I had a chance to talk to right before I came up here. We're going to have a baptism, but it's, it's about more than that. I want you to see this whole encounter. And the main character I want to pay attention to in the story is Jesus and Jesus' Holy Spirit. But notice how it begins. It is a fascinating conversation, is it not? It's fascinating how this begins. Because Jesus interacting with this man, the man comes up and asks Jesus. He doesn't ask him anything, actually. He comes up and he makes a statement. What does he say? Nicodemus comes up and he says, look, paraphrase, we've seen many signs that you're doing. It's got to be a God thing in some way coming on. And it says, Jesus replied to him. Don't rush past that word. The New RSV says it even clearer. Jesus answered him. Now, what's strange about that word? Now, pay attention. What does it say again? Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and makes a statement. He says, we see some God stuff going on. We see signs, and nobody can do these kind of signs unless God's with them. By the way, a little footnote. Uh, let's not make Nicodemus too holy too fast. I love the chosen. If you've seen the chosen, I love the chosen. I argue with the chosen in this one moment. They make Nicodemus get there way too fast. Yeah, he gets there, but he's not there yet. In fact, we know this for a lot of different reasons. I said a week or two ago, obviously not a week ago, I wasn't here, I said a couple weeks ago, when you read a passage, read a couple verses before, read a couple verses after. What happens immediately before this? John sets us up for this moment. Because it says Jesus is doing these miracles, and it says many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in him, but it's a kind of believed in him, but they're not all in with him because it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the hearts of people. A lot of things going on there. By the way, don't, don't bring out the God credit card. Remember, Jesus emptied himself, so how did Jesus know? Not because he's like clairvoyant, because he is working with the same Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit revealed the hearts of people to him as he was working his ministry. But it says there were certain people that were dazzled with the signs, but they weren't all in with Jesus yet, and Jesus didn't fully entrust himself to them. The next story is Nicodemus. I don't think that's an accident. Nicodemus is one of those people who literally says the same words. I saw the signs. We've seen the signs. Something God is happening, but he's not there yet. And that's all he says. We've seen signs, and we think there's a God thing going on, and it says Jesus answered or Jesus replied. Can I tell you one of the many, 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 many things I love about Jesus? Do you know this about him? Jesus answers even our unspoken questions. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus answers the questions that are going on deep inside of us even before we know to ask them. Isn't that brilliant? Nicodemus doesn't know he's asking a question. He thinks he's doing a job. He was sent there. We. He's sent there as the, I think, the leader, one of the rulers, it says, of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court of that time. He's coming to check Jesus out. 
And I think he's got God figured out and Jesus figured out, although it's something a little annoying because he sees things happening that shouldn't be happening with a guy who's authorized to do it. He doesn't know he's asking a question, but Jesus does. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus responds to the unspoken questions in the human heart. What question was he asking? I, I, I don't know, but from... From what Jesus answers, it's clear that Jesus is speaking some kingdom stuff. He's talking about the kingdom of God here. So Jesus is speaking into that. So maybe, maybe the question for him is the question that most of us have had when we come to the subject we're talking about, which is the Holy Spirit. Like, I've heard a lot of things about it, but I want to experience it. He's heard about the kingdom of God, but he wants to experience it. Quick reminder, by the way, we talked about this before. Don't hear the words kingdom of God and think heaven. That's not the point. Kingdom of God was something they were waiting for for centuries where God was going to be ruling visibly in the world and you would see things look the way they're supposed to look when God's in charge. That's what the kingdom of God is. And yes, it'll go on for eternity, but it starts here. And they were waiting for the time where God's appointed king would come and start kinging. <laughs> the kingdom of God shows up. And that's what he wants to see and know. So he's speaking this question. I, I get the sense the question somewhere deep inside that he doesn't know he's asking is, I'm Israel's teacher, Jesus calls him. I've been studying this my whole life, but I want to experience God's kingdom. And Jesus speaks into that. So before we go any further, I think I, I want to remind us as we're going through this series, my greatest hope, and I'm trying to practice it, trust me, every day of my life here, is that we don't just talk about stuff here, but we actually experience it. We actually pursue it. So here's a, here's a great prayer, maybe you've seen before. Um, you put that up. David prays this prayer. I think it's a phenomenal one to have in the rhythm of our lives. Let me say this very quickly. If you're in Christ, this is not a guilt prayer. If you're like me, every time I read this prayer, it's like a guilt prayer. Show me my sins and beat me up. That's not what it's talking about. Listen, what does he say? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. God, you know me better than I know myself. You know the questions I'm not even asking. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's not saying, surface all my sins and beat me up about that. We usually know about our sins. What we don't know is what's driving it underneath. What's the question I'm asking that I'm trying to find a solution for there that isn't really a solution? Reveal to me. Or here's a simple way to ask it. So these are a lot of words. Let me say this. I want to invite you this series. If you really want to experience things, don't just listen to me talk. Here's, a, here's an opening question. We'll have other ones as we go along. Here's an opening question. Ask Jesus through his Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus, what is the obstacle in the way of me having a full experience of your life? See, Jesus wants you to have a life. Think of John the Baptist. John came and prepared the way. Got things out of the way. Removed the obstacles. Hear me. You can read this for guilt. I'm not talking about guilt. If you're in Christ, you're, you're his. Here's the question. The enemy is stealing your life right now. Is there anything that's blocking that that God might surface? Again, I'm not talking just about sin. Let me give you one example that's been very helpful for me. I've done it again. I even shared it with the college students before. I thought I'd share it with you. Here's a great question to ask. Not out of guilt, but out of freedom. Here's a great question to ask. Ask God to reveal to you the lies that enemy is getting you to buy into right now. And for me, one way, it's often words. Words that the enemy will say to me that I will hold on to. I've shared some of them with you. So if you don't mind, some of this is going to be, it's not about me. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. But there are three statements that, that play like, 
recordings in my mind that the enemy will, will say about me. And if I don't surrender them to God, they, they, they capture my life and they destroy my life. So the first one and the main one took me some years to discern this and a lot of pain and rebellion. But I came to this one, abandoned. That's the word I hear. I told you before my dad died when I was 10 years old. He didn't mean to abandon me, but he did. And somewhere along the line, I got the idea in my head that if I cared about somebody or something too much, it would be taken away. I'm just telling you, right? This is one of the deep pains of my life. It's in therapy. I'm just telling you what the Holy Spirit does, right? That's one of the words. That's the core word I hear. Second one is pretty close. It's two words. It's called not enough, not enough. I grew up in a super hyper-religious background. Nothing terrible about that except for somewhere I got the idea heard me tell that story a couple weeks ago, I got to be more. And so I wasn't, I wasn't religious enough, I wasn't holy enough, I wasn't good enough. And then in other states, I was, I was a smaller guy, I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't smart enough. I mean, just, you just include it. That's, those two words plague my life, not enough. And then I have failed, as you've heard some of my story, but I've failed epically, and I've run away from God hard. And you know what the word that I still fight today, again and again, and those who are close to me know that we pray into this. It's the word disqualified. That's what the enemy says. You are not qualified. Not qualified to be husband and a father and a minister and a friend, whatever, whatever the case may be, you know. And it all fits the other ones. Does that make sense? These are, these are the words the enemies will, will rise. Now, I, I just invite you... To do a Psalm 139 prayer one time and just say, what, what's, what are the lies I'm buying into? Hear me, this is not for guilt. <laughs> this is for freedom. If there's something, you know what the enemy hates is exposure. Enemy loves hiding, hates exposure. So if I just kind of even write them down on a piece of paper, I write down, hear the words I hear, Father God, what do you want to do with these? And he will respond to that. There's a larger response I can do with you sometime. But this is a starting point, is it not? Isn't it beautiful that Jesus knows those lies that I hear even before I know I'm hearing them? Do you hear what I'm saying? He knows that, and he loves us enough to surface those things so that he might lead us in the better place. And what I hear Nicodemus is saying is, look, I've studied it my whole life, but I want to experience him. And isn't it beautiful in Jesus' response? Listen to the language of experience. He will respond that way in the language of experience. What does he say? Twice, very truly. You know, Jesus always tells the truth. So when he says very truly, it's like, hey, look at me. I have look at me moments. I've got look at me. I'm telling you some truth here. What does he say? Very truly, I tell you, he says, look at the language of experience. No one can see the kingdom of God. I know you've heard about it before. I I get that. But I want you to see it. I want you to see what it looks like when God's in charge, when God's driving your life and empowering your life and impassioning your life. I want you to see it. But no one can see it until they're born again. That's the only translation we know of. John is a master, by the way, just so you know, in words that have dual meanings and both meaning matter. And you'll see if you've got a modern translation, look at it. There's a little footnote there that says it could be born again or it could also be born from above. And you can read around in the context and know the from above matters. What's he saying? Jesus says you cannot experience the life I've intended you to live on your own, this earthly power. It's got to come where? From above. So you get reborn, Riley, from above. You get born into God's life and God's power. No one can even see it. Then he goes on to say again, well, how does this happen? And like everybody else in the book of John, they take it everything super literally. Oh, okay. And he's, later she can talk about water. Do you, get, you know, oh, is it literally that water? No. He says, very truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God 
Not talking about going to heaven. We're talking about getting in on God's life now that, yes, goes on forever. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And that's when he riffs. By the way, anytime we read this passage, we rightly look at it and say, part of what this is talking about is baptism. Some people push against that. It's not talking about baptism. Of course it is, in part. Just the same way in John chapter 6, you can't read John 6 where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. No one in the first century would be reading those words and not thinking about the practice of communion that they did every week. There's no way. There's no way that they're going to read these words where Jesus says, be born of water and the Spirit. They're not thinking about, in part, the beautiful sacrament of baptism. But hear me, in both passages, chapter 3 and chapter 6, he's not talking about the act. He's talking about what the act means. Do you hear me? So much more than just, oh, we got to do this. What is he saying that baptism is all about? Baptism, as we've said before, is this moment where we surrender. Or perhaps I might say in this, with this setup, this is the moment in baptism where we bury the hatchet. <laughs> we say, I'm not going to white-knuckle my life anymore. I'm not going to do it on my power anymore. God, you are the only one that can sustain and empower a meaningful, ongoing life. So I'm going to bury the hatchet of my own self-determination, my own self-gratification, my own effort, and I'm going to surrender to you, and then I participate. Isn't that beautiful? That's what baptism is. It's not an act. You don't beat people up about it. It is a surrender act. It's a beautiful picture, is it not? And Jesus invites us to that. Again, we're going to see that later today. And I invite us at the beginning of a new year to hear this because it's not just about the baptismal moment. Otherwise, I think, oh, cool, I've got that, I'll move on. No. What did Luke say when he was, uh, Luke recorded Jesus saying when Jesus was giving the call to discipleship? He includes one word um, that Jesus said that, that Matthew and Mark leave out. And it's a really important word. He said, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross. Does anybody know what the next word is? Take up their cross daily and follow me. Your baptism is the entry point into your experience of the life of God, but it does not stop. Every day we die again to the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day we say, Father God, help me bury the hatchet and then take up the power of your life. Every day it's an invitation. Does it make sense? That's why Jesus is talking this way. It's not just about, oh, baptism, I check the box and move on. Our lives are intended to be driven and lived in the power of God's Holy Spirit, not in my own power. And I want to claim that every day of my life. So I want to end by just kind of seeing the really the power of the picture. We're going to see these images of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see words that describe the Holy Spirit. I love this image of the Holy Spirit here. Did you catch the image? It's so important. He said this new birth, this new life, this powerful life is like the wind. Holy Spirit is like the wind. Those who are born of the Spirit, it's like the wind. Listen to this. This is so important, especially for a smart church like this one. The wind blows Wherever it pleases. You can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. You cannot box it in. Do you hear this? I love this. This is not just a metaphor. It comes literally out of the word. You've probably heard this before. But the word for spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ruach, Old Testament, Numa in the New is the same word. The word spirit also means the word wind. It also means the word breath. Love the way one lexicon calls it where it talks about the Holy Spirit as the air or the breath in motion. Isn't that beautiful? 
Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the breath of God in motion in the world. From verse 2 of the Bible, he's been doing that. In motion. Air and breath. And part of what Jesus is trying to say is, listen, you cannot box in, analyze, super nail down the Holy Spirit any more than you can the wind in your life. I love in the book of Ecclesiastes, it gives an image and a metaphor for futility and impossibility. It's called the wind. Have you ever tried to chase the wind before? I have. I remember as a little kid, and my first one of these had big eyeballs on it. I thought it was kind of cool to have an eyeball kite. And we would go out in the big park behind our house, and sometimes we'd catch it, sometimes we wouldn't. And it was a beautiful thing when the wind would catch the kite and lift it up to its heights. But here's the thing. I couldn't predict it all the time, and I couldn't manufacture it. The wind would catch the kite and, and elevate it, but only if the wind was willing. You know what's so beautiful about this passage? And you'll see it again and again as we go through the rest of the book of John. You know what Jesus says to all those people who are tired of hatcheting their life to death? You know what he says? I am willing to give you the most powerful tool of the Holy Spirit, life to heights you could never imagine. But, 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 whatever you do, do not box him in. Do not narrow him down. Spirit of God, who will live. I'm not in this conversation to debate any other denomination about what they say about the Holy Spirit, but here's one thing I will say. I will never tell God what he can or cannot do. He is God. Jesus says, whatever you do, don't try to box him in because it'll be like trying to box in the wind. So I am excited, I'm so excited about this series, but the first thing I want to declare very boldly and very clearly, the subject of our study, as we're looking at the Holy Spirit here, is a mystery. We don't quite know where he's going. We don't quite know where he's coming. We know a lot. We know what God reveals, but I will never tell the Holy Spirit what he can do, what he cannot do. We're not getting weird here. It's none of that. I'm just saying, I'm not going to try to box him in. In fact, one of the beautiful things about God's Holy Spirit, look at it here in the book of John, look at it in the book of Acts. When Holy Spirit shows up, people get surprised. Thank you for giving that talk. We had it in both services where people are talking about being amazed and surprised by God. Like, it happens all the time. Nicodemus came to an encounter with Jesus thinking he had all the theology figured out and he walked away feeling like a child. That's Jesus saying that's where we ought to start. Samaritan woman will be shocked that Jesus even talks to her, much less makes her the first evangelist in the book of John. But he does. The disciples will come back. They are shocked and surprised that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into Samaria and to talk to this woman. Go read the book of Acts. Every time we nail him out and figure him out, then he'll do something different and weird. The book of Acts is not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it is the breathless attempt of the church of God to keep up with the Holy Spirit's movement. Would it be for us too? So I say that as we're coming in. The Holy Spirit is a mystery. And we're going to study. We're going to look at words and all that. But, but I'm confessing this to you as someone who likes to study things and learn things. If I ever come across, well, we have got the Holy Spirit down. I repent right now. The Holy Spirit blows and moves and empowers wherever the Holy Spirit pleases. And it's not for me to define it. I just want to receive it. That's why one of my favorite words, if, if breath and wind and spirit is all the same thing, I've said it before, I say it again. All I want to do individually and in our church is to put up the sails and let the spirit catch it. 
Because that way it's all the Spirit's power and it is the Spirit's direction of where we're going in our lives. That's my hope and our prayer. So there's a lot of things we don't know. Here's what I want to end with, um, do a little practice of this. Um, we do know some things. Here, God has promised some things. So here's a promise of God I want to share with you. It comes from John uh, chapter 10. I'm going to start with uh, verse 11 where he explains the metaphor, and then we'll go back to the beginning of the metaphor. What does he say in verse 11? I am the good shepherd. You get this metaphor? We've heard it before. I am the good shepherd. So when we pray Psalm 23, that's Jesus, right? I am the good shepherd. But this is what he says. Here's my question, and this is, again, confessional to me because I haven't always believed this in my life, but this is what it says. I'm the good shepherd, and Jesus says, the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. Sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says, and the sheep listen to the Spirit's voice. He calls his own sheep personally by name and leads them. Here's my question for this whole series. Do you actually believe that? I know we read it. I know we can quote the metaphor. Do you believe it? Do you believe there is a good shepherd in your life and he wants to speak to you and lead you and will call you by name? Do I know what that means? No, I have no idea. Other than he promised to speak through the inspired word of Scripture. Promised to speak through his people and his Holy Spirit works in the way he does all throughout Scripture. It's beautiful. Spirit works. Do we believe the Holy Spirit will speak to us? Do we believe he'll personally speak to us in our lives? Yeah, not in some weird way. I'm not talking about that. But do we believe it? And I, I just I want to be open to it. Let me tell you just a simple way that, that I've experienced this in my life. I'll tell you the two. I talked about this on Wednesday night in our class too. Two major ways God speaks to me. It was really three people is one of them. But two major ways God speaks to me is through Scripture. The same Spirit who inspired the book will inspire the reading and the study of the book. I'm convinced of that. But I also believe, as Romans 1 teaches and the book of Psalms teaches, that God speaks through creation as well. And that's one of the major ways that God speaks to me. And my wife is similar to this. If you put up this image, I want to share an experience I had. I went uh, two, three, two and a half years ago, three years ago, to the Black Hills of South Dakota. You ever seen the movie National Treasure where he sticks his hand in the rock? That's over there. Um, and we went to this place. And I had, you know, we're with a guys group. So most of the time we're doing activities. And I'm like wrecking an ATV, no lie. And doing all sorts of stuff like that. But at the beginning of that, I went out and do what I like to do from time to time. It was just me and Jesus up on the mountain. I'm just walking. And the only way I can tell you, it was, it was the most clear and loud silence that I think I've ever heard. It was just three words. It was almost a question. It was like this question inside. But it was a beautiful question. It was, that was you. It came to my mind. That was you. And I started thinking in my life about all the way back from when I was a little kid. I've shared some of these things with you. I want to put these pieces together. But I love to go out and just walk. I just walk in God's creation. And I remember when I was a little kid, I think I told you before, whenever it would snow, I would go out and I would pretend I'm like some explorer in some place. And I wanted to go place. Now, I'm in the park. But, you know, I feel like I'm in like Antarctica or whatever. And I remember walking out alone. And I heard these words. That was you. It was almost God was saying... I remember my lie, by the way, because this is what God does. God was saying, even when you were a little kid and you thought you were out there in the park alone, you weren't alone. That was you. That was him that was with me in that place. And, and, and I thought about a time when in, in West Texas one time we were doing a leadership retreat and I had people just go and just be quiet and meditate. And I, I went and, and I remember at, at my friend Elisa Chandler, Elisa Palmer now, one of our student leaders, and I was sitting in a gazebo alone and I was looking at these trees, they had weeping willow trees, and they were dancing in the wind. And I thought of this verse and I just turned it into a prayer with God. Is that, you know, I just want your Holy Spirit to be here and, 
And what, what he said was, that was you, that was, that was me. God said, I was there in that gazebo. You weren't alone. I remember one time, all these things came to me at a, at a time. It's just a cool way that meditation can work sometimes. I remember a time that was really frustrating. I, I was hating life. There was a particular guy I was bitter towards. I, that's my sin. I was unforgiving. And I would walk this place called Radnor Lake in, in Tennessee, and I would walk on these trails, and I would walk like this, man. I was walking. I'm like, God, tell me what to do with this person. Change this person, usually. Stop, you know, all this kind of stuff. And listen to me. I, I would walk out of there, and I was really sad because I felt like he didn't do anything. I felt like he didn't say anything. I didn't experience anything. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the Black Hills of, of, of South Dakota, and I heard this, that was you? God was there. And he didn't fix it. He didn't change it. What I needed to know is God was there in the moment. He didn't feel like he was there, but he didn't leave me alone on that path. And I remember the day, all this stuff happened almost a minute. I remember a day where the first time I taught this verse to my daughter, and she was four, I think. And we're sitting on the playground, and we watched the trees move. And I said, honey, Jesus told this cool thing. I want you to know this. Like, tell me about the wind. Can you see the wind? And she said, no, I can't see the wind. But you, how do you know the wind's there? Because the trees are moving. I said, look, God, Jesus said, God's like that. You won't see him, but you'll know his effects. And, and God, it was like God was saying, you weren't alone on that playground teaching your little girl. I was there. And I was teaching her too. And you don't have to parent on your own. You're doing it. And I could give you more. It was just like one thing after another. I'm like, oh my goodness. Why am I sharing this now? Because last week, I told you I love you, but it was hard to come back. Not to you. I love coming back to you, but I was in, I was in Camp Blue Haven. <laughs> 61 degrees in the morning. Chris, a cup of coffee. Put the next slide up. And uh, I went, I tried twice to find the group I was supposed to, like, hang out with. Now, I was going to teach them later. I told my daughter that. She was freaking out that I was supposed to teach that morning. No, I taught later. We were just hanging out in the mountain. Tried twice. He came down to Jared. I'm like, where are they? He showed me this little thing on the screen that was totally incomprehensible, and I went back up. And he, the sense I got was, like, God didn't want me to hang out with them. He wanted me to hang out with him. And I, I, was, I was standing on the edge of this thing, and I was, I was just praying, and I was preparing for a time talking to them. And I got this sense, like, God was just saying, not some words, I'm not trying to be weird here. Like, you know, you get a sense in your spirit. The verse in the message came to me in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, in the message, when Jesus calls him on the Sermon on the Mount, it said he called his climbing companions. I love that word. And that just came to my mind when I'm standing there. God, the Holy Spirit will remind you of Scripture. And, and what, I, what I sense him saying is, you're my climbing companion. <laughs> no matter how far you've run from me, how much you've failed, I'm still climbing with you. And I'm inviting you to climb with other people. And that's what I want to do. I just want to climb a mountain with you guys. But what Jesus is leading us, isn't this beautiful? And then I think about, like, only God can do this. What is the greatest wound in my heart? Abandoned and alone. And what does God tell me in the way I connect with him? You're never alone. Now, here's what I'm asking. Do you believe God will tell you that? I'm not talking about anything weird. I'm talking about, like, reading your Bible and going from here to here. It's my prayer in the series. I don't want to have a bunch of facts about the Holy Spirit. We'll have cool names to call him. I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We already have him. Let's use it. <laughs> Let him work in our lives. I want to end with this, just like 30 seconds or so. I want to give you a moment. I made a commitment because I experienced on the retreat these guys. I'm going to make the last word in the sermon, other than a prayer, you're going to hear from God. And it just may be, it's just scripture. You can hear whatever else you want to hear, too. Um, we've got, Robbie, you guys can go get ready for your baptism. We're going to have a baptism a after a song. Um, but I just want you to take 30 seconds, take a minute. I'm going to read a scripture, 
And here's a simple way to just pray and let God take the scripture to go from here to here. Let the Holy Spirit put it here. Um, and so we've done this before. This is just one piece of a bigger way to pray. But here's a simple way to pray. Pray scripture. Pray scripture. Just read scripture and listen for one word or one little phrase in the scripture. Because we know it's from God. Like we don't have to question whether that's from God or not. I'm reading scripture. So I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. Is there one word or one little phrase, a few words that you need today? Or maybe it's someone in your life needs today. Is that fair? You're just going to be quiet. I'm going to read it for a minute. Listen for one word or phrase. And then just for 30 seconds, don't listen to anything else. You forget the sermon, all that. Just grab that one word or phrase. Just repeat it gently in your mind and then turn it into a prayer. Maybe a prayer of praise. Maybe a request. I want to experience this. Is that fair? Is that easy? We'll do something like this and let the Holy Spirit do. He'll, he'll give the closing, right? All right. So just take a moment. But if you just get relaxed, I encourage you to close your eyes. Literally going to read scripture. We'll sit in silence for a moment and then I'll pray us out. This is the passage a lot of people believe are on Jesus' mind from the book of Ezekiel when he's telling these words about birth and the Spirit. So this is God speaking. Hear, hear the word of the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart from you your heart of stone and give you a tender, responsive heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Let me read it one more time. Just listen for one word or phrase and I will give you silence. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a tender, responsive heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Just sit on that word or phrase for a moment and I'll bring us out. Father God, we just want to thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture where you continue to speak to us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to give us power to do what we read and hear when we come to Scripture. And help us as we explore uh, this subject, not to be academic, but for us to just follow you. Thank you for the, I heard the words move you, help move us, Father. Move us in the direction you want us to go, to go deeper in you, to experience and love you more, and to love the world around us more deeply. In the glorious, resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll finish with a song and prayer as, uh, as Riley gets ready, and then we'll have a baptism to celebrate at the end.